are the King of kings and Lord of lords. We thank you, Lord, that you and your name, Lord, have all the power and all the glory. We thank you, Lord, that we can depend on you day and night, week after week, month after month, year after year. You never change. You never leave us. You never forsake us. Lord, you're always there. And this morning, Lord, we just want to offer our thanks to you. This morning, Lord, we want to offer up our hearts, Lord, as sacrifices to you for all that you've done, Lord, and all that you're going to do. Because, Lord, you are worthy of all glory and praise. And, Lord, we thank you this morning. We praise you for who you are and what you've done. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Hallelujah. Please be seated. Thank you very much. Music team, didn't they do a great job? I always struggle every time I have to preach. I always struggle with what I need to say and what I should say and what I shouldn't say. And for the last few days, I've been struggling with what I should say. Traditionally, I would sit there and I would talk about uh, the resurrection of Jesus, which I will do. But what I'd do is I'd go to one of the passages of Scripture that would be about the resurrection. I'd read it out. And I've been struggling for the last few days because I've been feeling God telling me not to do that. And let's face it, that's a pretty bold move on today. It's all about the resurrection. I'm, you know, I'm not going to read from one of those passages. But thank God that he's in charge, amen? Because our dear sister that done communion couldn't have done a better job, amen? She, as soon as I heard her say that, I thought, hallelujah. God is in the house and he is good, amen? Now, I'm going to challenge you today because I've got a lot of Bible to bring out. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to uh, Luke 18. And um, hopefully today we're going to walk out of this place closer to Jesus than we've ever been. If, you're, if you don't, you can't sue me because I've got nothing. But hopefully today that's what we do. We come out of here a little bit closer to heaven. You know, today we celebrate um, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Oh, hallelujah. It is the pivotal point of history, which I'll get onto later. But uh, there is no other day like this i know we celebrate uh, jesus birth which is great and we celebrate a lot of other things palm sunday and all those things get celebrated in the church these days but today is the day today is the day how lord and our savior they went to the tomb it was empty and he came out a victorious warrior and we'll get on to that later Everyone found Luke 18, 18 to 40, 34. I'm going to read it out. I'm going to read it quick, hopefully. If I make mistakes, just chuck something at me, okay? A certain ruler asked, good teacher, what do I need to do? What must I do, sorry, to inherit eternal life? Now, how many people have ever asked that question? Hello, princess. <laughs> how many? She's going to do that all the whole time, okay? So just get used to it. Um, how many people have ever asked themselves that question? What do I need to do to get to heaven? That's what this man's done. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false witness or testimony. Honor your father and mother. Now the guy's pretty bold because at this point he goes, all these I've been doing since I was a boy. Now I think there might be a grain of truth, maybe in that, maybe, but it's very hard to say that someone since they've been done, has done all those things. Honour his mother and father. Hands up someone in here that's always honoured their mother and father. 
I know what you said about your dad. No, no, only joking. <laughs> He's going to get in trouble later. It's all my fault. Sorry. Okay. When he heard this, he became very sad, as you would. Oh, sorry, I missed this. I missed a bit. When Jesus heard this, he said, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Now, let me just take a second there. Jesus wasn't saying if you're rich, you can't get to heaven. He simply says that to get into heaven, it has to be God that does it. Your riches won't buy you a spot in heaven. The only way you can get to heaven is through God. It doesn't matter if you own all the cattle of a thousand hills. It doesn't matter who you are in this world. It doesn't matter if you're the most famous pop star in the world. It is only through God that you can enter heaven. And that's what Jesus is saying. Nothing more, nothing less. Peter said to him, We have left all we have to follow you. Truly I say to you, Jesus said to them, No one who has left home or wife or brother or sister or parent or child for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come. Now this is the important part. Because at this point Jesus is with his disciples, he's with a whole lot of people. And he pulls them aside, he takes them aside. So there's only the 12 and him standing in the place. Come here boys, I've got something to tell you. And they all gather around and Jesus says this. We're going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written by the prophets and about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them. And they didn't know what he was talking about. So I imagine like this. Jesus says, come on, boys. I've said this in front of everyone and everyone knows now that the way to get to heaven is through God. Now, come with me. I've got a little bit of a secret to tell you. In three days, uh, in, we're going to head to Jerusalem. And once we get there, they're going to kick the living daylights out of me. They're going to beat me and hit me and spit on me and insult me and mock me. They're going to nail me to a cross. I'm going to die. Three days later, I'm going to rise again. And at that point, I imagine Jesus says, got it, and walks away. And they're all going, what? Did you hear that? What's it mean? What's it mean? What's it mean? What's it mean? Today is the most important day in the Christian calendar. Resurrection Sunday, or as it's called Easter, is without doubt the most important day in history. It goes hand in hand with Good Friday. Must be noted, however, and I'm going to do a little bit of background, that the annual history, that the history of celebrating the resurrection of Jesus was not really in the first century at all. There's no real first-hand um, documentation that says it was. The earliest piece of paper we got that says that it was celebrated at all was in the mid-second century, and it was in Pascal's homily, Melito of Sardis, which characterised the celebration as well established. So while I wasn't around when the apostles were there, I'm sure that it was celebrated every day. See, sadly, what we've done in the second century is we've taken something that should be celebrated every day and pinned it into a calendar. That's what we've done. You know, the Bible tells us that the apostles and everyone met every day in the synagogue and they gave thanks. Every day they would go down and they would give thanks that Jesus had risen. 
And for reasons, one, one reason or another, Christian leaders decided what we need to do is set up a date where we remember this because we've got so much other stuff we're doing, basically. You know, it's, 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 it's important, so let's mark a date. I think that is one of the saddest points of history. When the church had to say to itself, let's mark it with a date. Because the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is so important, we should celebrate it every day. It is the very reason we have found his grave. It is the very door or mechanism that has brought us salvation. The death and resurrection of Jesus should always be before us. It should not be something that we put aside for a few days in April, March, when we remember and celebrate. It's great that we do, but I think we miss so much out. We miss out on so much by just putting it to that point, if that makes sense. The resurrection of Jesus is the very heart of Christianity. Some say that uh, missions is the heartbeat. Others say that evangelism is the blood that flows through the church. Well, the uh, death and resurrection is the very heart. Without it, it it doesn't do anything. Without it, Christianity doesn't mean anything. If Jesus had simply died and be left in the tomb and you could visit it and there would be his bones, there'd be no such thing as Christianity. Jesus would have simply been another radical rebel that was caught by Rome, nailed to a cross as thousands were in those days. That's all he would have been. But death could not hold him down. Death could not keep the Son of God in a tomb. Death could not, even though it tried with all its might to hold him, it couldn't. Jesus is far greater than death. Years and years ago, I uh, started um, working in a church. And I went to a funeral, and there was a Baptist funeral. And uh, there were some Pentecostal people there. And um, the Baptist guy and me talked afterwards, and he goes, tell me one thing. He goes, I don't understand you, Pentecostal guy. I said, I don't understand at all. He goes, uh, whenever someone dies and, and they're in the faith in a Baptist church, we're happy. We chuck a party. We celebrate. He said, but Pentecostals seem to be sad. And I started thinking, because we do get sad at funerals. Have we really got the perspective of what the tomb means, not only to us, but to other people that are saved? We do not die. Sure, this body might fail and it might be chucked in a grave, but the spirit man that has been born through salvation lives on forever. The spirit man that got breathed into that day I said those words, I accept Jesus into my life as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for all my sins. That day something was birthed in me. That day something became alive in me. If this shell gets torn in two, that survives. And that goes on to be with Jesus. So death has no victory. It has no sting. Jesus has taken it away. Death is a glorious experience when we enter into the very throne room of heaven. Death is a glorious experience when we see our Lord and Savior face to face for the first time. Death is a glorious experience where we meet Jesus. 
Now, that doesn't mean that we hasten in any way, shape or form because it's up to the Lord when our days are numbered. And we know that and we read that in the Bible. So if Luke 18, 31 to 34, is the heart of the church, it's, it's the heart of Christians, it's the heart of everything. Jesus died, he rose again. A verse that really it catalysts off or the verse that leads up to it is just as important. And that's chapter 9, verse 51. As time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So in chapter 18, we have that he pulls his disciples aside. Nine chapters before, Jesus resolutely sets his face towards Jerusalem. He turns towards it. This is what I'm here to do. He doesn't tell anyone. He doesn't sound the trumpet. But in himself, he understands and knows what he's there for. And in chapter 9, he does this. He turns towards Jerusalem and he goes, I'm on my way. I'm heading there now. I've got to go down some roads to get there but this is my pathway that God has chosen for me. The Father has set before me a path that I cannot deny. No matter how hard it is, no matter how impossible it seems that I must tread it, this is the path that I shall take. And I am going to steadfastly turn my face to Jerusalem and I'm going to go step after step towards it, no matter the pain, no matter the anguish, no matter what. Because in doing those steps one after another, he knew that he would achieve the salvation of the human race. He knew that in this era, in this time, you and I would put our hand up in a meeting and we would say, yes, we are sinners and we need help from Jesus. He knew that by dying on the cross, he would open the floodgates of heaven. He knew by dying on the cross, salvation would be made open to man. And it is only through that death on a cross that this has been achieved. It's only through the death on the cross that we can one day look Jesus in the face and hopefully hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. That is the only path to heaven. The world is starting to tell us there's many paths to heaven. It's starting to embrace all sorts of uh, religions into one conglomerate church, um, whether it be Muslims or Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or whatever it is. There's a movement that's happening that is embracing everyone and saying that there's many ways to heaven. If there is, then Jesus is a liar because he said, I am the only way. He said it as plain as day. You cannot be mistaken about what he said. I am the only way. And as Christians, that should always be our stance. There is only one way to heaven and that is through Jesus Christ. His death and his resurrection are the victory signs for us. His death and resurrection are the signs for us that one day we will not be in a tomb, but we will be in heaven. And thank God for that. Praise the Lord that Jesus uttered those words. Praise the Lord that he took the stance to say that. The book of Luke, finishes in a triumph 
So I'm going to read a lot of passages of Scripture. I don't expect you to read them all. Um, there's a heck of a lot. So I'll just read them and you can follow along or write them down and look them up later. While they were still talking about this, and that's uh, the disciples and, and the people that were in the ha- uh, upper room at the time, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, What are you troubled about? And why do, you doubt, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as, you have, as I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they were still do, did not believe it because um, of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. All of a sudden, they flash back to that meeting where Jesus said, come aside. We've just talked to the rich young ruler. I've told you that only God can get you to heaven. Come with me. All of a sudden, their minds flash back to there. He said, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what was written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out in the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem in great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. So why is the resurrection of Jesus so important? Why is it that we call it the heart of the Christian faith? Firstly, the resurrection of Jesus verifies our justification. Romans 4, 18 to 25, it says this, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it was, just as it had been said before, I said to him, So shall your offspring be without weakening in his faith he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that sarah's womb was also dead but he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of god but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to god being fully persuaded that god has the power to do what he has promised this is why it was credited to him as righteousness the word it was credited to him were written not for him alone but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and he was raised to life for our justification. The death of Jesus wasn't enough. He also had to live. The death of Jesus is half the story. The empty tomb is the conclusion. Without one, the other doesn't exist. It has to be that way. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most important things we could ever understand in our lives. Because in understanding the resurrection of Jesus, we understand God's power. We understand His grace. We understand what He has done for us. The empty tomb is a sign of victory. I hope one day as Christians we take the crosses off our necks and we put an empty tomb there. Because that's the point, ladies and gentlemen. That's the point. The point is that he didn't stay on the cross. 
The point is that he lives and reigns in heaven at the right hand of the Father. That's the point. And what we need to do is understand that not only in our minds, but in our hearts and our spirits. And that will help us understand our justification. The reality is that Jesus himself claimed that his blood would adequate, was adequate for the forgiveness of our sins. In Matthew 26, 27, 28, he said this. Then he took the cup. When he'd given thanks, he gave it, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until we drink it again in the kingdom anew with the Father. And Jesus being raised from the dead, God demonstrated his acceptance of Jesus as a sacrifice. In Romans 8, 31 and 34, it says, What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him for us also. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ who died. More than that, who was raised to life. Is at the right hand of God and also interceding for us. He intercedes for us. You know, sometimes in my Christian life, I've, uh, you know, I've always believed that Jesus died for my sins. I've always believed that the only way I could ever be a half-decent person is through God's grace and his love and the, and, and the grace that he poured out upon my life. But what has taken me time to grasp is that Jesus thinks about me. That he intercedes for me. That it's not just a one-off thing where you come to God and you ask for forgiveness of sin, but he loves for me. He loves me and he cares for me. And whether I like it or not, in some ways I'm the apple of God's eye, just as you are. Just as you are. We all seem to think that God can only love a couple of people. God can love everybody. You know, I've recently become a granddad a couple of years ago and, uh, you know, I, when I had my girls, I didn't think I could love anyone as much as my girls. Um, and now I've got grandkids. I love them just the same. It, it, is, it is an incredible love that, that only a parent can have or a grandparent can have. If it came between my granddaughter and me or my grandson and me, I'd die immediately. Because I love them with such a love. And God is no different. The reality is it came between a choice of allowing Jesus to die so we could live. And God did not even blink to make that decision. God did not hesitate in any way. Because he loves you more than you can comprehend more than you could understand. You are an individual in his eyes. You are just as important to God as the person that's sitting next to you. You are just as important to God as the greatest holy man in the land, as the greatest healer that's ever been. You're just as important to God. He loves you. He cares for you. He sent his son for you. He intercedes for you. And the way that happened was through that empty tomb. 
the way that happened was that God, uh, Jesus was lifted up to the right hand of God and there he sat. And as the passage of Scripture we just read, read says, he intercedes for us. A passage of Scripture that helped me understand this a bit, and uh, it was read out this morning, was when Jesus was hanging on the cross, there was a criminal either side, and Pastor Mike talked about it on Friday as well. And uh, one mocked and one found grace. And the one that found grace heard some simple words from Jesus. He said, remember me when, when you get in your kingdom. And he didn't fully understand. The guy on the cross didn't fully understand what was going on. He, he thought that uh, Jesus was going to tear himself off the cross and that he was going to have an army and they were going to ra- get Rome and chuck him out in the Urals and take over the world. That's what, that's what they thought. That was their understanding of the Messiah. He said, when you come into your kingdom, think of me. And Jesus immediately says, don't worry. This day you'll be with me in paradise. This day. Not a week, not a month, not a year. There's no such thing as purgatory. This day you will be with me in paradise. What a gracious and loving God we have. What a gracious and loving God that would look past his own pain. That Jesus would look past his own pain to see the heart of someone else. The second thing that that, uh, the resurrection demonstrates to us is the power that's available to the Christian. If the empty tomb is a sign of victory, it's also a sign of power. There was nothing that could hold Jesus dead on that cold slab. Nothing. They could have put all the chains they could have found. They could have bound it down. They could have done whatever they wanted. And there is nothing that could have kept him there. Ephesians 1, 15, 22 says this, For this reason, ever since I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparable power, great power for us who believe. That power is the same power as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rulers and authorities and powers and dominion and every name that can be named and invoked. And not only in this present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Back in those days, in the town of Ephesia, they used to wear these little bracelets. And little bracelets used to have names of gods. And what they used to do is get up in the morning, they used to name the gods. And they thought by naming the gods, they'd have power over them. So they thought by naming the gods, you know, so there's a god for, you know, falling over under a bus and dying, and you name that god and you won't fall under a bus and die. Not that there was buses in those days, but similar sort of thing. And um, Paul, when he's writing here, levers off that. <laughs> Our God is above every name that can be named. You can put thousands of names on your wrist. You can go through them every single morning and it doesn't matter because how God is greater than that. Every name that can be named. But then he goes on even further. He goes, how God is greater than any name that can be named, not only in this age, but any God they make up for eternity. How God is greater than that. 
He is greater than that. And the power that raised him from the dead is available to you. My gosh, what a passage of Scripture. What a passage of Scripture. That same power that was exerted to raise him from the dead is available to you. The power that these gods that you've got around your wrist mean nothing compared to Jesus. Every name that can be named for eternity matters nothing when you come and you believe and you understand the power of Jesus. That power is available to you and me as sons of God. The empty grave, the empty tomb is a sign of power. It's not a sign of weakness. The cross is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of power. It's a sign of victory. But the empty tomb, even more so. There is nothing in there. It's gone. It's finished. It's done with. It's dealt with. It's empty. Because how God is more powerful than anything. God's power is available at our conversions. 2, Corinthians, 2 Colossians 11 and 12 says this. In him, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So in our conversion, the power of God is real and alive. And it's the thing that makes the difference. You cannot be saved by mere words. There has to be this God moment. And that God moment is empowered. Salvation can't come any other way. You can't sit in a room, because people have tried it, and study and study and study, and never have that power encounter with God and come out the other end a Christian. People have done it and people have tried it. It's that moment of encounter with God where the power of God is released in your inner man that matters. It's that God moment that brings salvation. I remember when I got saved. I remember it as a glorious moment. When salvation hits us, it's something we remember forever. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead that should help us live our lives as Christians. In Philippians 3, 7-11 says this, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish I, uh, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness that comes from God, but is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Becoming like him in death, so somehow I can attain to the resurrection. I mean, that's Paul praying that. You know, you think of Paul as the great evangelist, the great church builder, the great church planter. Paul is saying, that's what I want to know. In Ephesians, he also writes, For this very reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, and I've read this before, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power in us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength when he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rulers, principalities, every title that can be given, not only in this present age but in the age to come. 
And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness in everything. The key to that passage is the very last word. Everything in every way. God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him, which is Jesus, to be head over everything for the church. So he's head over everything for us. The church is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That's our role and that's what we should be doing. The third reason why the resurrection is the heartbeat, the heart of the Christian faith is because it gives us hope concerning our own resurrections. 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You know God shields us. You know, sure, sure, sometimes bad things happen to good people and we all understand that and it's all something that God gives us strength to get through. I honestly believe that. God would not, and the Bible tells that, God would not put you through anything that you couldn't handle. And sometimes for Christians, we are put through extraordinary circumstances. We uh, suffer greatly sometimes. But God knows what we can handle and God strengthens us in that hour of need. And at times on this planet, we shed tears and we suffer. But what that suffering and that shedding of the tears does is it builds within us character. And it doesn't only build within us, but also builds it within the people that watch us. And I think that's something we always forget. I think we forget sometimes that we've been watched all the time. It's nice and cool here. I, I understand why you stand here now. <laughs> what we need to understand is that sometimes God may open a door for us that we don't want to walk through. But in the end, that door is going to bring glory to Him. Amen. In the end, that door will bring glory to Him. And the reality of our lives is that's what we're meant to do. We're meant to live a life that brings glory to the Father. And the things that we suffer sometimes through are the things that are going to be the most glorious and most wonderful things when we get to heaven that God rewards us for. Because we've been an example to others. We've shone the light of Jesus in the darkest moments of our lives. You know, the apostles, when Jesus died, were in the darkest moments of their lives. They did not understand what was going on. They struggled with their minds to understand how Jesus can be standing in front of them. But in that moment, in that moment when they saw Jesus face to face, everything else faded. In the midst of our suffering, sometimes that's what we need to do. In the midst of our sometimes, that's what we need to do. We need to look at Jesus face to face. And all that pain, all that suffering will wash away. Because Jesus is the one that gives us strength, amen? Jesus is the one that takes us through those times in our lives that we'd rather not go through. He is the one that intercedes for us. He is the one that gives us power and strength. And all that is achieved 
because on the third day he rose again. All that is achieved because he went to seat at the right hand of the Father. All that was achieved because he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. All that was achieved because one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter how rebellious they are. One day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. That's what the Bible says. No matter who it is, one day they'll do it. The resurrection of Jesus gives us a living hope. 1 Peter 1.17 says this. 17 to 21 says this. Since you were called on a, um, since you called on a father who judges each man work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believed in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so that your faith and hope are in God. In Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 17 says this, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep or grieved like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring Jesus. We believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him, according to the Lord's own words. We tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel and with a trumpet call from God. And the death of Christ, and the dead in Christ, sorry, will rise first. After that, we will also, all those, all those that are still alive will also rise with Christ and be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with him, the Lord, forever. Many years ago, my uh, brother-in-law, I'm not sure if I've told you this, many years ago, my brother-in-law was my uh, father-in-law's um, maybe 70th birthday. And um, my brother-in-law, I was living in Canberra, Tom, my brother-in-law, he flew over from Perth and he was staying at the house and we got a guy to come and play a trumpet at six o'clock in the morning, you know, for, for father-in-law. And uh, we all sort of went out to the house, so there's a lot of us. Um, my wife's got uh, four brothers and three sisters and their partners and their wives and everyone. So we've stood out the front of the house and he's played the trumpet and, you know, it was a happy birthday thing. And the, the guy from Perth, um, everyone was outside at this time, stumbled up sort of half awake and half dazed. He was certain. He was certain that it was the Lord and he'd missed out. <laughs> he walked through the house looking for people, couldn't find anyone. He, this, he went looking. What is going on? I am certain after that day he changed a few things in his life. <laughs> There's nothing like a close call to make us reflect true one day if we don't go to meet the lord before it a trumpet's going to sound an archangel's voice is going to be heard all the dead are going to rise up just hope you don't live where a cemetery used to be that's all i can say because they're going to rise up 
You know, there's a passage of scripture where in Jesus' resurrection that some of the old saints uh, that were alive, uh, that died before Jesus came along, they came to life and they went into the town. It's going to be similar to that. I mean, they're not going to go into the towns, they're going to go up into the air. And you're going to see them whizzing past. At that point, I guarantee all the lukewarm Christians are going to be praying. I guarantee they are. And the rest of us are just going to be bracing ourselves going, yippee, giddy up, let's go. We're going to meet Jesus in the clouds and he's going to take us to heaven. And we're going to be in a place where there's no sorrow, no pain, no tears, no anger. We're going to be in that great place with our Lord and Saviour. We're not going to want for anything. We're not going to doubt in anything. But we are going to rest in the arms of our Saviour. And for me, that can't come quick enough. But like Paul, we're still on this earth. We've got things to do. You know, Paul was torn. I want to go to heaven, but I know I've got to be here. And, you know, I I always, every day at work, I try and talk to people about Jesus. I try and show them the gospel, and that's what we need to do. Until he comes back, that's our job. Our job is to shine Jesus to a lost and dying world, and that's what we must do. But he is risen, and so will we. We will rise up on the clouds, and we will be with him forever. Ephesians 1, 18, 21 says this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart... Did I just read that? Yep. Romans 14, 7 says this, For none of us, none of us lives to himself alone and none of us die to himself alone. If we live, we live to our Lord. If we die, we die to our Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Amen. So what does this all mean? What does the impact of the resurrection have upon us as individuals? The reality of the resurrection is it's a historical fact. It was witnessed by over 300, 500 people. Sorry, The death and resurrection of Jesus is a pivotal point of human history. But more important than that, the death and resurrection of Jesus should be your pivotal point in history. This is the demonstration that for the believer, he or she must never lose sight of the significance of the resurrection. We must ask ourselves two questions. Firstly, does my life demonstrate that I serve the risen Lord and Saviour? If Jesus came back today, would I hear the words, well done, good or faithful servant? Or would I hear the words, my child, I had so much planned for you? Secondly, do I possess the hope, peace and strength that the reality, that the power of the resurrection gives to the Christian? They're the two things that as a Christian we should be asking. If we don't have those two things, then we need to search our souls. We need to get closer to Jesus. We need to make sure that he is our priority in life. Everything else will be burnt away. Everything else will fade. Everything else will go. Everything else. Everything will go. It does not matter what you do on this planet if you don't build your relationship on Jesus, because it will go. The only thing you take to heaven with you is that relationship. It's the only thing you take. And as Christians, we need to know that. We need to store up riches in heaven. And you know what those riches are? It's not a car, a plane, a boat. The riches that we store up in heaven is that relationship we build with Jesus. That's what those riches are. 
Because in the end, that's what matters. In the end, that's what counts. For the unbeliever, for those of you here today that aren't Christians, then you need to have an examination of the significance of the resurrection. You really need to do that. An examination will verify the deity of Christ, that he has all authority and power. In Philippians 2, 5 to 11, we read this. Your attitude should be the same as that in Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, every tongue confess in heaven and on earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. An open and honest examination will also verify the truthfulness of what Jesus taught us. That no one comes to the Father but through Jesus, John 14.6. That his blood was shed for the remission of sins, Matthew 26.28. That he came to offer abundant life, John 10.10. That he went to prepare a place for us all, John 14.2. That he shall come again, John 14.3. And that there will be a resurrection of the dead ensuring judgment, John 5.28.29. This morning we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, the victory over death. At the heart of what Christians believe this stands. It's not only our hope, but it's everything that we have. Jesus Christ rose again. Let us just read one more passage of Scripture. Luke 24, 1-8. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find a body of the Lord Jesus Christ. While they were wandering about, uh, wondering about this, then suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down in their face to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while you were still with him in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified on the third day he will rise. And then they remembered his words. Can I ask the musicians to come up? It is Sunday, ladies and gentlemen. The devil has been defeated. The enemies of God have been vanquished. Death and the grave are powerless. It is Sunday and our Lord is risen. He is victorious. Not a victory won by a battle, not a victory won by a but obedience, but sorry, but a victory won by obedience and sacrifice. He is risen. His body will not know decay, but has been glorified for now and forever. He is risen. He is seated at the right hand of God with all power and authority. He is risen. He has gone to prepare a place for you and me. It's Sunday, and he is risen. He has risen. My challenge to you is to live a life worthy of that empty tomb. My challenge to you is every day think about it. Understand what has been achieved by this. It is not simply a ceremony we remember once a year, but something that should be at the very heart of what we believe. Jesus Christ is risen.